Good morning, church. Graham said if I got done in time, we could sing the hymn of the month again. So I'm going for it because the, tr- the truth of the words in the hymn are going to uh, be played out in this story this morning. So the singing, the time of praise together with you this morning has been rich already. I want some more of it. I trust you do as well, so we got to go. This morning, I invite you to be a judge. You get to judge. And we all have choices to make throughout this day. You're going to leave this place and make a choice. Barbecue or Mexican or something like that. You're going to have to choose what restaurant. Even if you choose one of those kinds of restaurants, you're going to have to choose which one of those because there are a plenty in, uh, in Texas, in our great town. Uh, you make choices between buying this thing or buying that thing. You make choices of, of who to trust uh, and who not to trust. Uh, in our day and age in Texas, in the midst of early voting, who to vote for, this person or this person. We have to make these choices based on what we know, based on uh, the judgments that we make, based on the truths that we have. And This morning is no different in this passage that we have already heard read for us and we'll be walking through together. John so uh, intentionally puts truths in his gospel in this section that the other gospel writers do not include. He is focusing here on Jesus' civil trial. He has been handed over by the religious leaders Uh, having already undergone their religious trial, and they have judged him, condemned, and convicted him, and are now bringing him uh, to Pilate to be judged in a civil trial. He's been judged by the religious court. Now he's to be judged by the civil court. And you heard read Pilate's already, his, his first judgment, that he finds no guilt in him. And yet that judgment will not stand because he will be forced under peer pressure, if you will, to give in to that judgment. And so we too, we are called to judge. Do we judge Jesus true? Do we judge his death and his resurrection uh, enough and alone that saves us? Do we judge him worthy to be uh, praised and honored and gloried? And your judgment is not just one that is to reside in your mind this morning, whether or not you think he's right or not, correct or incorrect, worthy or not worthy. It's not just a decision you're here to make in your mind. You're going to make that decision this afternoon when you have to choose to walk by faith or walk by worry, to be obedient or to be disobedient, to give or not to give, to serve or not to serve all of this week. Your, your judgment is maybe at once here in your heart and in your mind, but is going to be played out the rest of this week. And these people, their judgments were being played out in their decisions and in their actions and in their words, on and on and on. And so I want to present Jesus to you in comparison with several others that John compares him to in these passages. In John 18, or in John 18, 19, and on, we've said that there are really seven acts 
And in the midst of these acts, as we make our way from the upper room to the empty tomb, there are several different scenes in the midst of each act. And this act is Act 3. And in this act, there's really three scenes. And you can see the scenes in the fact that John is telling the story of Pilate moving outside, moving back inside, and then moving back outside. And he, it's where he's inside with Jesus, having this secret com- conversation, really where the emphasis and the climax really lies. But we see the conversations before outside uh, and after outside, also giving us clear glimpses of who Jesus is in comparison with the Jews, in comparison with Pilate, and then in comparison with Barabbas. And what you're going to see is that Jesus alone had no evil, no falsehood, and no guilt, and yet became our substitute. Jesus alone stands accused, questioned, and condemned so that we might be released. Jesus alone came to fulfill the Word, bear witness to the truth, and reveal the true Father so that we might be sons and daughters. Therefore, we can either accuse Him or accept Him. We can, like Pilate, question Him or we can listen to Him. And we can, like the rest of the Jews, either condemn Him or we can confess Him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we do that in believing, we will have life in His name. So if you haven't turned to John 18, you better do so now because we've, we want to look at these scenes. I want you to see these scenes. I want you to mark your Bibles. Uh, I want you to make sure that what I'm reading is what you're reading, that I might uh, bear witness to the truth as Christ came to bear witness to the truth in our passage this morning. If you're taking notes, note this first. The defiled, hypocritical Jews versus the spotless Passover lamb. We see that in chapter 18, 28 through 32. The defiled, hypocritical Jews versus the spotless Passover lamb. That's in verse 28 where John says that then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. Remember, as I said a minute ago, they had just had a religious trial with both Annas, the godfather high priest, and Caiaphas, the reigning high priest that year. And he was led from Caiaphas's house to the governor's headquarters. That is the Roman governor's headquarters, who we find out is Pilate. This was his Jerusalem headquarters, uh, not his Caesarean headquarters. Pilate did not want to be in Jerusalem. He would much rather be in his Caesarean home, but he was here because it was the Passover. And to make sure that there was peace in the city, uh, Pilate showed up to his Jerusalem headquarters. And it's there that the religious leaders lead Jesus to him to go from having a religious trial to now a civil trial. He had had his religious trial having been arrested the night before 
and they wrongly, in accordance, uh, in disaccordance with the Jewish law, had his religious trial throughout the middle of the night. That wasn't allowed. But they were fine doing that because they had something that they wanted to do, which was get rid of Jesus. So they were willing to break those laws, and John tells us that it was now early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. And it's here where we just have to pause and consider what John is telling us. He's giving us a little bit of historical, cultural context here um, that the people leading Jesus to the governor's headquarters uh, were the Jews. And if they were to go into this Gentile governor's house, they would become ceremonially unclean according to the Jewish law, and therefore, having done that in public, would not be then allowed to eat of the Passover. The Passover had already begun. The Jesus and the disciples ate their Passover meal the night before, but the Passover was really continuing all week in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they weren't going to be able to be a part of the continuation of that feast all weekend. And so, even though they were willing to break all of the laws the night before and convict a sinless man uh, guilty and, and be able to eventually punish him and crucify him, here in the midst of the public, they are not wanting to go into the governor's headquarters so they're not sinful. Uh, this is, as Jesus would have called them earlier, whitewashed tombs. Uh, he, he would describe them as straining out the gnats, but being willing to swallow the camel. They are uh, hypocritical in the greatest sense. And it's also that they can save face and be able to eat in public the Passover meal. And we're warned in just a statement like that, being people, uh, religious people ourselves, Christians ourselves, having a better Passover meal before us this morning, lest we fall into the same trap that these Jews fell into this morning. Christian, please do not come here trying to save face. Please do not come here um, putting on an act simply so that others around you can think you're a little bit more put together so that you can stand up later, walk the aisle, break the bread, take the cup, and eat and drink in remembrance uh, of Christ and His sacrifice. This is an opportunity for us to come together and simply be honest, to confess our sin both before God and before one another. We had a sweet time to do that this morning in our prayer time uh, before our worship gathering this morning, to confess sin. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to do that, let me encourage you to spend time this morning in the midst of the sermon as the Lord leads you, in the midst of taking the Lord's Supper a little bit later, to confess your sin before God. And if you need to confess to one another, um, maybe you don't take of the Lord's Supper this morning because you have sinned against one another and you've broken that unity. And it would be wrong for you uh, in the midst of all of these people to come forward 
another person knowing you've been hypocritical and haven't addressed your sin this week. Uh, But it is a time for us to, yes, confess our sin and to come, not boasting in ourselves, but boasting in Christ, to remember His sacrifice for our sin. Uh, There's a comment uh, or an opportunity here for us to just make that comment and to consider how that would then apply to our lives, lest we fall into the the same trap of um, not being defiled hypocritical Jews, but being defiled hypocritical Christians at that. And so they they don't go inside, and, and because they don't go inside, then we see in verse 29 that Pilate went outside to them. And he says, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Essentially, we've got nothing. Uh, we, don't, we don't have anything in your eyes, oh civil uh, Roman governor, that uh, would be willing for you to judge him in that way and eventually crucify him. So we'll just say we wouldn't have even brought him to you if he's not guilty. Uh, And so Pilate then says back to them, Will you take him yourselves and judge him by your own law? And there's the invitation right there for them to to turn. Right there. If they would have truly judged him according to their law, they would have found him innocent. They're going to eventually condemn him of blasphemy. But that would only be true if he wasn't God himself. But if they would just look at his life and the things that he said and realize that he actually was the Son of God that he claimed to be, they couldn't judge him blasphemous. They would judge him true and worthy of all worship and all praise and all honor and all glory. Pilate invites them, commands them even, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Well, that's not actually true. Uh, Or at least they got over it by the time of Acts chapter 7, where they stoned Stephen to death. They may have not been able to crucify Jesus. But they were able, if they found it uh, under their law, they were able to stone someone to death. But that's not what they wanted. And John, in fact, goes that the reason they even said that was to fulfill God's plan, was to fulfill God's Word. They didn't even know why they wanted crucifixion, except for the fact that they wanted it to be public. They wanted it to be not just religious, but they wanted it to be civil. Um, because they could have stoned him according to the religious law. They wanted Jesus condemned according to the civil law, but they had no clue that what they were doing, as John tells us in verse 32, that it was actually to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. That's John referencing back all the way to John chapter 12, verse 32 to 33 that talked where Jesus says that he will be lifted up. If the Jews were to have stoned him that morning, Jesus never would have been lifted up. 
He never would have been pierced. Um, He never would have been crucified. Jesus' words uh, earlier in John chapter 3, when he references all the way back to the Old Testament in the story where uh, the Jews, uh, the Israelites had sinned and had a plague coming upon them, we're told to, to, make a bron- take a bron- uh, to make a bronze serpent on a staff and lift it up, and all who looked at the bronze staff would be healed. Jesus says, I'm the better staff that you need to look up at. I'm the one who will be lifted up myself, and you have to look to me to be saved and to be healed. And if the Jews went ahead and stoned him that morning, according to their own simple religious law, and didn't press him to Pilate to be condemned and eventually crucified and lifted up on the cross, then all of those scriptures would not have been fulfilled. There would have not been a looking up, there would have been a looking down at the stoning uh, of him. And so in all of this, we see God's hand. In this, we see the defiled, hypocritical Jews placed against the spotless Passover lamb. They're doing everything they can to at least on the outside remain spotless and undefiled when right before them is the only one in the entire universe that has ever lived that is the only undefiled and spotless one before them. And if they would have just in that moment realized who was before them, they, and, and they would have responded rightly and judged rightly in that moment, their response would have been repentance. Their response would have been belief and faith. We have the same opportunity this morning to judge when we look at Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we have the opportunity to either continue in our own ways and say He's not worthy, to not think about our sin so sinfully, to not uh, think Him as worthy of giving everything that we have and following Him all the days of our life, or we can judge Him rightly as the Son of God, as the only spotless Passover lamb who was given to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. We can repent and believe, or we can continue our own way. The Jews continue their own way. And so in, in, in moving from the outside, Pilate then goes inside in verse 33. And it's there in verse 33 where we see this comparison Now between a deaf worldly governor versus the true heavenly king. A deaf worldly governor versus the true heavenly king. Pilate entered his headquarters in verse 33 and again called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And in the Greek, the word you in that sentence is emphatic, almost Like Pilate is asking, are you the one they're making all this fuss about? And we can remember back 
there's echoes in this of Isaiah 53 that when they would look upon the Messiah that his look and his resemblance wasn't anything to look upon well. And Pilate's surprised that Jesus is the the one that they're um, condemning. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the one that all of this uproar is happening? Are you the one that the reason that I'm awake early this morning? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And I love that question because right there, Jesus is giving Pilate an opportunity. Are these your words or are these someone else's words? Are you just questioning me, repeating what you've heard from, that other people are saying? Or is this your serious inquisition of me? Are you really asking me that if I'm really the king of the Jews? Man, what a, what a question to consider even for us this morning. How personal Jesus is in his questioning of Pilate, giving him an opportunity right then and there. Just as the Jews had a moment er earlier to judge themselves, right here, Pilate has an opportunity to say, I'm asking you, are you really the king of the Jews? Tell me whether you are or not. Um, Or to just say, these are the words that I'm just hearing about you of the Jews. Jesus is offering him an invitation, uh, one that will be repeated on and on and on every time the gospel is proclaimed, an invitation that today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts against him. But Pilate answered with judgment, with mockery, belittling Jesus, saying, am I a Jew? You can almost hear the laughter on his voice saying, would I belittle myself? Am I, I'm not even close to you. I'm the Roman governor of Judea. Uh, why would I even consider asking you a question if it wasn't what they had already reported to me? Your own nation, he says, and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done and what, what, one of the things that I want you to note in this passage is the fact that this is almost, it reminded me of um, that, that TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? If you remember watching that some time ago, where the comedians would stand up on stage and they were only allowed to say something in the form of a question. And they would have to ask, you know, is, that, is your shirt blue? And well, is your shirt red? You know, back and forth. And they're trying to make this and it becomes really humorous. That same thing is happening in here. Pilate asks four questions. He can't even, you know, answer a question that is given him in this. He continues to ask, continues to question Jesus over and over and over in this, in this internal, inside um, trial that he's having with Pilate. What have you done? He asked Jesus. And so Jesus, and Jesus answers him knowing that it was the Jews that brought Jesus forward, saying that he was, listen, king of the Jews. That was the, the threat that the Jews brought 
to Pilate. He had said he was the son of God. They knew that Pilate would not care that he claimed to be the son of God. But if he claimed to be a king, and by claiming to be the son of God, he was also claiming to be king. And if they presented that to Pilate, then Pilate would be upset. Pilate would know that he has competition. Pilate would know that he needs to put an end to this so that his governorship is not taken from him, which is why he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And, and then later, what have you done? And Jesus realizing that Pilate does not care in his heart whether or not Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's just worried about saving his own face, saving his own position of power and authority. He lets Pilate down easy and says, don't worry, Pilate. Uh, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews but my kingdom is not of this world. It's okay, Pilate. I'm not coming for your job. Don't worry. You can have your job all you want. I came for a bigger and a better kingdom. Uh, I, I put my own servant's sword away and put the guy's ear back on last night. You probably heard about it. Don't worry. I'm not here to take your job. I'm here to do something different. We're not going to fight. I'm actually going to lay down my life. You think you're going to judge me. You're going to try to let me off several different times, but you're not going to be able to. I'm going to willingly lay down my life on the cross. So Pilate says back to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And when, when, he, when he says that, he's essentially saying, you're right in saying that I'm a king. And then Almost like John, all series long through the Gospel of John, we've referred back to John chapter 20, verse 31, where John tells us the purpose in writing his book uh, is that these signs were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John tells us in the midst of his book why he wrote this gospel for us so that we would believe and have life in his name. Well, Jesus gives us his purpose statement right here in this passage. He tells us the purpose for his incarnation, if you will. And some of you might remember that in the gospel of John, there's no birth narrative. There's no story of um, Joseph and Mary. There's no story about Jesus going to Bethlehem. Um, John's writing in a higher level, showing Jesus' divinity. And Jesus is telling his own birth story right here in this passage. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I came in, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Here Jesus is saying that one of uh, the purposes for which he entered into the world was to bear witness to the truth. Remember in the 
previous passage, um, what happened there in verse 32 was to fulfill the Word. Not only was Jesus fulfilling the Word in that scene, but here He's declaring that He came to bear witness to the truth. That's why Jesus is referred to by the Apostle John in the beginning of the Gospel as the Word. He is the Word of God. He's fulfilling the Word. He's bearing witness to the truth. Even though these people are on a search for truth in the midst of the, this act, in the midst of these scenes, outside and inside. And Jesus says that He comes to bear witness to the truth. He's standing right before Pilate trying to show him that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one would come to the Father except through Him. Something that He's already declared to um, crowds before Him in John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus makes the statement, really drawing the line in the sand at the end of verse 37. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He's essentially saying to Pilate, you're not of the truth because you're not listening to my voice right now. You're not listening to the words that I'm saying to you. These are similar to Jesus' words back in John chapter 10 when Jesus declared there to be both the door and the good shepherd. And he said that all of his sheep would listen to his voice and would follow him. They know the voice of their shepherd there. But there would be other thieves and robbers uh, that the sheep would not listen to. And so Jesus is drawing a line in the, in the sand saying, Pilate, if you were of the truth, you'd be listening to my voice right now. If those Jews outside were really of the truth, if they were really standing for the truth, they would be listening to my voice. They would have not arrested me last night. They would have not woken you up early this morning to judge me in a civil trial. But they're not, they're not of the truth. They're not listening to my voice. And Pilate doesn't know what to do with that. And so, with the very truth standing before him, he just asked the question, what is truth? What is truth? How do we know truth? How do I know what you're saying is true? How do I know what they're saying is true? I don't know what is true. Uh, Pilate has no clue in this situation. Even though the very truth of God is standing right before him. And so like Pilate there that day, we too have the opportunity to judge Jesus and his words. We have the opportunity to judge him, whether or not he's speaking the truth or not, whether, whether or not his life backs up what he said or not, whether or not what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection is alone what saves us or not. Many of us have considered Jesus. We've considered His life. We've considered His words. We've considered His death. We've considered His uh, resurrection. 
we've, we've deemed him worthy. We've deemed him true. And our response in, in that moment, there, I mean, even before that, there was a time when we didn't deem him worthy. We didn't deem him true. We wanted our own truth. We wanted our own way, our own truth, our own life. We didn't want what Jesus was offering to us. But there came a point where our eyes were opened, our ears were opened to hear things like we'd never heard them before. Our hearts were, the Bible says, born again and made alive to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, to believe that Jesus' signs prove that he really is who he said he was, that his death and his resurrection were the greatest signs and sacrifice that we have to look at. And we came to a point where one day before we judged him unworthy, and the next day we judged him worthy, and our lives were forever transformed. And yet there are still days and times when we wake up and we have to continue judging him. And we have to keep telling ourselves, Jesus, you're worthy today of me living in faithful obedience to you. Jesus, you're worthy of waking up early to worship you, the way, the truth, and life. Jesus, you're worthy of me giving sacrificially of all that you've given me, my health, my life, my home, my finances, uh, my free time, my gifts, and my talents. You're, you're worthy of all of that. Because it's, again, like I said at the beginning, it's not just we make a decision in our mind, we check the box, we pray a prayer, and we're done. No. It's something that impacts us every single day. Because if you just judge Jesus worthy in a worship service and you go out into the world living life the same way you lived before, you prove that your judgment had no uh, result or effect on your life after that. And so we, as those of us who at one point judged him unworthy, and the next day judged him worthy, we have to keep reminding ourselves from the word that Jesus fulfilled and came to bear witness that he's worthy. We have to keep gathering together every Sunday to remind us and remind one another that he's worthy to go out the rest of the week, sent out to be the church in the world. We have to keep reminding ourselves year after year uh, as we are in this season of the year uh, that he died and that he rose from the dead. Uh, at the Christmas season that he came and he was born to bear witness to the truth. We have to remind ourselves of those things so that we keep living out a life of faith and obedience to Him so that our lives and our words judge Him worthy. But maybe you've come here this morning and your, uh, your life up to this point has judged Jesus unworthy of repenting of your sins and turning from everything that doesn't honor Him. You've not found Him worthy of waking up consistently, regularly, every Sunday morning, not being able to wait to come together and sing the praise of Jesus like we had the opportunity already to do this morning and to gather together with God's people. You haven't 
tasted and seen that the Lord is good yet. And the invitation this morning is is to come. It's to, to judge Him. You judge Him. Judge whether or not He is who He says He was. Judge whether or not He has done what He said He came to do. Judge Him and consider whether or not He is able to forgive you of your sins. Will you accuse Him or accept Him? Condemn Him or confess Him? You have the opportunity to choose. This is why the writer of Hebrews um, three different times quotes Psalm chapter 95 in verse 8. And he does in Hebrews chapter 4, 7, one of those times where he says again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Jesus says that all who are of the truth listen to his voice. And even in that is an invitation, both for Pilate that day and for us today, to listen to his voice. And if you want to be of the, the truth, because there's not multiple different truths in our world, though many people claim that there is, there's only one truth. And if you want to be of the truth that Jesus lays out here, the way to do that is to listen to his voice. And Jesus' first command in the midst of his ministry was to repent and to believe and to follow after him. And that's the invitation that we have before us, to repent and believe and to follow after him with, with all of our life. Pilate would not deem him worthy. Uh, he would judge him though he didn't want to do so publicly. And so, at the end of verse 38 and uh, through 40, here John gives us this final scene, a guilty convicted robber versus a guiltless condemned son. A guilty convicted robber versus a guiltless condemned son. Pilate's now giving the choice of judgment back to the Jews. Because it says in verse 38 in the second half, after he said this, he went back outside to the public forum, back to the Jews, and he told them, this being the first of three times he'll say this, as we'll see next week, I find no guilt in him. And in that, Pilate judged rightly. In that, Pilate judged him that there's no guilt, at least according to the civil law that he was judging against, that this man was worthy of crucifixion. But he was unwilling to stand by it with integrity, and he would eventually give in. Uh, but to save face for himself this time, and to help the Jews save face before others, he gave them a choice. Because he knew if he came back and said, he's not guilty, I'm not going to crucify him, you deal with him yourselves, 
they would have been upset. They would have uproared. They would have gathered together a mob of which he would then have to control as the Roman governor. His authority would be questioned in that moment. Um, So he's saying, well, I don't want to do that. I also don't want to put him to death and me be guilty of crucifying someone who doesn't need to be crucified. So I've got a deal for both of us. This way we can both be happy. But oftentimes when we try to make both people happy, we end up making nobody happy. And that's what happened. He he says, I find no guilt in him. But in verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And John tells us, now Barabbas was a robber. They must have had this custom. It must have been done time and time again. That comes into his mind. He thinks, I've got it. I'm going to give them the choice. I can make them look good and make me look good all at the same time. And I'll give them the choice. Surely they'll choose the king of the Jews. And everybody can be happy in this. He goes out and offers to release Jesus. But they cry out again, not this man, but Barabbas. They would rather have a convicted and condemned robber. And the other synoptic writers, the other gospel writers would tell us that not only is he a robber, but he's a murderer and an insurrectionist, of which is why he's in prison at this point. Um, And so Pilate thinks this will be a clear, easy choice. (laughs) No-brainer, you think, at that point. But he puts them forward, and John puts him forward as a robber. Because as I mentioned earlier, Jesus already said that those who are of the truth will listen to my voice. But there are thieves and robbers whom they won't listen to. And now you have the Jews saying, we don't want to listen to the good shepherd of the sheep or the spotless Passover lamb. Give us the thief and the robber. We'll listen to him. That's who they'd rather have in this moment. Not only that, but the actual name Barabbas, Bar-Abba, means son of the father. And you have the one standing before them who is the only son of the father, and yet they would rather choose to have this thieving, murdering, insurrectionist, false son uh, of the father rather than having the spotless, undefiled, unguilty uh, Passover lamb, uh, a guiltless, uh, the only true Son of God, and they'd rather condemn Him and release Barabbas. They had the opportunity. I mean, in wrestling with this passage this week, there are so many kind of pivotal moments that they could turn back. Right here, right then, just, just repent, just turn. But they, they double down. Next week, multiple times, they have the opportunity, repent and believe, and they double down. Again, they have the opportunity, 
to turn back and repent and believe, and they double down. We have the opportunity to judge. You're going to double down on going your way and do, living the life that you think is going to save you in the end or make you happy in the end? Or are you willing to this morning, having heard the truth, having heard the voice of the very Son of God, don't double down. Turn back. Repent. Believe. Trust Christ today to save you. Trust Him alone, the way, the truth, and the life. For no one comes to the Father except through Him. And that may need to be in a clear moment, like I described earlier, where yesterday you didn't think Jesus was worthy, but today you've seen a glimpse of Him and you deem Him worthy. And you repent and believe once and for all. You follow Him. And that may mean following Him uh, by faith and obedience. Maybe following Him in, in baptism later. Maybe following Him and joining this local church. But if you've already repented and believed in Christ, you've already followed Him in baptism, you've you followed Him and you've joined this local church you're probably like me where there, you can look back on times late, earlier this week and realize that in what you said and what you did, you didn't judge Jesus worthy. And you too need to confess and repent again. But we also need to lift our eyes back up to He who is on the cross. He who died for you, who shed His blood for you, who offered His body for you. And you look back up and remember Christ and walk again in faithful obedience to Him this week. We have that opportunity this morning to, to judge. Let us not be like those Stephen was preaching to just before he was stoned. And when, when Stephen stood before these very same people, in Acts chapter 7, he called them stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Don't go away from this place doing your best to make yourself look undefiled on the outside, but on the inside, you're as dark as ever, dirty as ever. Don't leave this place judging Jesus uh, unworthy. Don't leave this place choosing a life of thievery and robbery. Um, choose Christ, the only true Son, who alone can save you and is alone worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your one and only Son, Jesus, whom you gave, who came who was born to fulfill the word and bear witness to the truth, 
who came not only to bear witness to the truth, but to live a sinless, spotless, undefiled, guiltless life. And yet was willing to go to the cross for us. Jesus, thank you for becoming the perfect, spotless lamb that we needed. You who offered your own blood and your own body on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. For apart from the shedding of blood, the Scripture says, there is no forgiveness of sins. Holy Spirit, thank You for opening our eyes to see, our ears to hear the voice uh, of Christ and giving us hearts to believe and to listen and obey the truth of Your Word. We praise You as we sung earlier, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for Your work as is revealed here in the Gospel of John. Help us to judge You rightly this morning. Jesus, there for us as Christians, there is never enough that we could give to You. And help us to realize this morning as we consider what faithful obedience looks like this afternoon, tomorrow morning when we wake up for school or work, or later this week in the midst of a tempting situation, or later this year when we face a significant trial and hurdle. Let us remember that we judged You rightly and You are worthy on those moments. And I pray that if there's someone here who has yet to, before this day, judge you as King of, King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that they would do so this morning, repent of their sins, and trust you alone to make their heart clean, not worrying about what the outside looks like. Lord, have your way in us. We pray that you would increase and that we would decrease in this moment as we remember you and your blood and your body and as we go away from this place. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.